Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scripture to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here. We ask that as we even now are on our own Emmaus Road, that we would recognize you, that we would hear words of comfort from you, that we would know that you are already here present with us, 
And so today, help us to be present to your presence. Help us to believe that you have seen to this moment, and that you have something you want us to hear, to trust, to surrender to, to give our lives to, that you today um, see us in all of our anxiety and all of our confusion and all of our worry and all of our um, challenge, whatever it is we bring to this moment. And your response is always to move towards us, to renew, restore, and heal. We thank you for that. Help us to trace all of that to the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, when I moved here 23 years ago with my wife and our three kids at the time, um, and then a year later we added our fourth, you know, I really didn't have a lot to do, honestly. Uh, There's nobody to meet with. Um, it, we didn't know anybody. The whole idea was kind of crazy. Um, and so I was re ready to say yes to anything anybody asked me to do. And a group of young professionals um, asked me if I would come downtown um, after work and do a seminar on faith and work. And I said, sure. So I'm nervous. I want to put my best foot forward. Um, this would be like the first time I actually do something that's teaching or related. And, um, and so I was really nervous, but it all went well. And I was talking to someone afterwards, this young man. And so I just kind of said, so tell me about yourself. Where are you from? And he goes, well, you know, kind of all over. I said, oh, really? I said, were you military family? He goes, no. Um, my dad actually was, a, was an athlete. I said, really? What, what do you mean? He goes, well, he, he played football. And I said, in the NFL? And he said, yeah, he played football in the NFL. And I was like, wow. I said, for who? And he said, well, he played for St. Louis. And, um, and then, um, then after that, he played for Dallas. And I started doing the, you know, I started thinking, wait a second. Who, who is this person? Had to be pretty good if he played that long for two different teams. And then it hit me. I said, what position did your dad play? He said, tied in. And the next words out of Fred Harrell's mouth were, your dad is Jackie Smith. He dropped a touchdown pass in Super Bowl 30. I remember that. And as soon as I said it, I just wanted to take the shoe out of my, the foot out of my mouth. It was awful. It was a very famous drop. The ball literally hit the man between the two numbers on his jersey, and it, it's just a rough moment. He looked at me and he said, my dad was a five-time pro bowler and is in the Hall of Fame, and all anyone remembers is that drop pass. And he turned around and walked away. <laughs> I came home and I told my wife and she's like, okay, we're leaving. <laughs> no, she actually was really nice about it. She said, it's okay, honey. You didn't know who you were speaking to, which is true. I had no idea who I was talking to. And I think that's part of what intrigues us about this story today. Two people who are walking along with Jesus and don't know who they're talking to. I think it's a story that probably has about 50 sermons in it. Nobody panic. I'm only going to preach one. But how do they miss Jesus? And how do we miss Jesus? How do they find Jesus? How do we find Jesus? And in light of that, how do we follow Jesus? How did they follow Jesus? Well, first of all, let's talk about how we miss Jesus. It was the cruelest of endings for these two folks, Cleopas and this other person. They had gone to Jerusalem. 
just a week earlier. They had been there with Jesus. They were there for regime change. It was time for the kingdom of God to come. It was time for Israel's true king to be crowned and to bring in a righteous rule. But then things go terribly, awfully, horribly wrong. Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is charged with blasphemy. Pilate is manipulated. Jesus is condemned for treason. Jesus is crucified on a Friday and buried. That was three days ago. It's now Sunday. There's been some strange rumors about a stone being rolled away, a body missing, some saying there were angels, but as far as they were concerned, there was nothing left to do but to go back home, about a seven mile journey, a couple of hours of walking. They were so certain that Jesus was the one. Now just imagine yourself walking with these travelers, just hear their stories, hear their voices, I would imagine we'd hear some shame and confusion and despair, anger, fear. Anybody connected to Jesus's life is now in danger. The conversation was so sorrowful that they didn't notice a stranger had joined them. And the stranger asked the question, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along here? And then I think the key phrase in their response is right there where it says, we had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped for something different. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. There's nothing wrong with wanting Israel to be redeemed. It's just too small of a story. It's too small of a vision for what Jesus was about. It needed to be larger. You see, the diagnosis of the problem is, this, is that the problem is that Jesus came to solve is the problem is tribal for them. It's still tribal, it's still local. It's political, conventional political issues in particular. And therefore they needed Jesus to be tribal. They needed Jesus to be local. They needed Jesus to be conventionally political. And that means you crush your enemies. You don't die for them. And so for these travelers, crucifixion is a complete disaster in their mind. The frame of their story, the size of their vision is too small. Let's apply that for just a second. Have you started sentences in your life that began, but we had hoped, I had hoped, but we had hoped the tumor wasn't malignant. We had hoped our marriage would get easier. We had hoped to have a great wedding this summer. We had hoped to get a vacation, a long hoped for time of break, and now it's gone. We had hoped to get a promotion this spring, and now I'm unemployed. We had hoped the depression would lift. We had hoped to keep our jobs. We had hoped to carry the baby to term. We had hoped the pandemic would spare our family. We had hoped for a peaceful death. We had hoped to experience God's presence when we pray. We had hoped our faith would survive. Frederick Beekner put it this way. He said, Emmaus is whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred, where we spend much of our lives, you and I, the place that we go to in order to escape, a bar, a movie, wherever it is that we throw up our hands and say, 
Let the whole damn thing go hang. It makes no difference anyway. But there are some things that even in Emmaus, we cannot escape. We cannot, we cannot escape our trouble. We can escape our troubles, at least for a while. We can escape the job we did not get or the friend we hurt. We can even escape for a while the awful suspicion that life makes no sense and that the religion of Jesus is just a lot of wishful thinking. But the one thing we cannot escape is life itself. Emmaus is where we go when we think the world ends with crucifixion. So how are you answering the question or the statement we had hoped? Because I think what we do with all the we had hopes in our life is probably setting the course of our life in many ways. It may be blinding you to seeing resurrection in your midst. Are you so fixated on that missing piece that you feel God slipping away from you? Is it possible that the diagnosis of your challenges, while true and valid, are not in a large enough frame of what God intends for you and all that God has made? I sometimes feel like I treat God as my cosmic task rabbit. God, if you do this, if you'd hurry up and do that, I will then finally be okay. You know, if you live long enough, what ends up happening is a lot of times those things do work themselves out. But guess what? You are still there. And things are still not entirely okay. This is hard, I know. This is hard stuff. I'm not giving you any easy answers at this moment. I'm just telling you I know what it feels like too. And I'm telling you that it's been my experience and maybe yours as well, that God was walking alongside me the entire time and I was missing it because I was so sure or I was so demanding of what I thought God was supposed to be like and do for me at that second that I was missing resurrection right in front of my nose. So that's how we can miss Jesus, how to find Jesus. So, you know, that's the whole point. They didn't. Jesus found them. Do you see that? These are people who are just walking away from resurrection. They're walking away from Jerusalem and Jesus appears on the scene. And that's what these post-resurrection appearances are, are, are called. They're not called sightings. They're called appearances because I think appearances are very different. They're intentional. Jesus comes to them and finds them. He listens to them, tell the story. And then he retells the story to them. He gives them a larger frame, a more expansive frame that could fit all of the confusion, the shame, the anger, the questions, the challenges, all of it. See, it's not that their problems don't matter. It's not that living under military occupation, for example, for these, these travelers was just a walk in the park. It was horrible. They were right to want release from that. And you were right to not want to be lonely or for your medical diagnosis to be that you are healthy or to, or well, or to do well in your career, to make progress in all sorts of areas in your life. That's not the point. The point is those hopes and those disappointments need a larger frame to hold them. And so Jesus retells the whole story. And some of you right now are trying to reconnect with this story, but the loss you've experienced is so deep the pain so palpable, the questions so unanswered for you right now that you're not sure you can do it. But I want you to recognize one thing 
you're here right now online. Why is that? Why is it that you're here right now? You're here and you're looking at comments that tell you that a whole group of people are trying to believe together this larger framed story. If that is you, you could post a comment about it right now. I'm trying to believe. And you're hearing this story again. I guess I wanna ask you this. Can you believe that your very presence here right now is God pursuing you in the midst of all of yours we had hopes. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a couple that had found themselves in crisis, been married for 20 years. They were from out of town. They wanted to get out of their local context to talk about their marriage. So they drove an hour to come here and sit and talk. I told them I'd be happy to meet with them. At the outset, I can tell that she was really angry at God. Actually, really both of them were, but she was particularly honest about that. And neither of them were actually really receptive to a lot of the things that I was saying, which is understandable. There's a lot of pain. But it seemed that as we got middle conversation towards the end of the conversation, that there were some breakthroughs taking place. That there was some some new thinking, some new ways of, of approaching their marriage. And there's a lot of thank you very much. You've given us so much time and we have time and I really appreciate it. And so I just simply said to them, here's what I really want you to try to believe. This is not just me being nice. This space that we've held here together, two hours of it, this space that we have, can you see that as God pursuing you? And how else did this happen that we had this time together? Can you for a moment believe that it's not just me being nice, that this is actually God loving you right now? And that was the only moment I think I could detect at that time that there was a major breakthrough. And frankly, the way that both of them were responding to each other in that moment was entirely different. So I wonder if you can see that in your life right now. God loving you through others who are checking in on you or maybe running an errand or creating space to be silly or supportive or whatever on a, another Zoom call. I wonder if you can see that you're here right now online because God is always pursuing you with a larger narrative on which to build your life. For you to understand your whole life story within this grand story of God coming to us in Jesus and not just being crucified and staying up on that cross, but on that cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to introduce an entirely new thing into this world, a new way of being into this world, a new birth, a new resurrection altogether. Jesus essentially says to them, you know, the scriptures told you this. You just didn't see it. You didn't have on the right glasses. You needed a new lens. And the lens is me to see all of it through me. The law, the prophets, all of it tends, all of it needs to be now seen through the lens of a greater story where God will have to come down and instead of crushing enemies, will have to suffer. You see that? Jesus makes sure to put that in there, to suffer. That the power will come to overturn the world and to turn your world upside down in this world, to introduce an entirely new energy and life into this very world in resurrection, and it'll come through weakness. 
It'll come by loving enemies. It'll come by serving those around you. And Jesus invites you today to start looking, to start to look at everything you now know through that lens. And I believe that lens can give you life to find Jesus in the retelling of the story, to have a story large enough for the pain, the confusion, the mourning. That's really what growth is. It's beginning to see the smaller narratives that were constructed in our, that we've constructed in our lives are no longer really big enough to hold the complexity of what light looks like in this world. I think we're all looking at those smaller narratives differently right now. We sense a need for a larger field of vision. So Jesus takes them back to a larger story. It doesn't take them away from scripture, it takes them towards scripture, but now what you might call a Jesus hermeneutic. And that ends to the last thing, and that is, in light of all that, how to follow Jesus. You know, if that's how we find Jesus, how do we follow Jesus? It's very unspectacular. It comes from listening and feeding. You know, if we had written this story, we would have Jesus, like, levitating in front of these two. We'd have Jesus doing something, like, really crazy spectacular. You're going to turn a tree into a cow or, you know, something like that. But instead, it's just an ordinary, calm conversation. It's retelling the story in that larger frame. And so following Jesus begin, perhaps, with listening, even when you don't recognize and understand exactly what's going on. So they listen for a long time to this stranger among them. And they haven't really put two and two together. That kind of is what it feels like to live a, live a Christian life in many ways. There's a lot of listening sometimes that, you know, I just don't really get it. I, it hasn't connected yet. I'm just going to keep on listening, though. They don't recognize Jesus, even when Jesus is the preacher, which is incredibly encouraging to me and to any preacher. <laughs> I take great comfort in that. Even Jesus' sermon wasn't connecting. Maybe that's where you are right now. You're trying to listen. You just don't know. Someone says, I have to listen to the Bible. Really? I'm not even sure what to do with this Bible. I mean, I look at it. and I'm like, okay, God seems to get a little less grumpy as we get to Jesus. And that helps. But I mean, gosh, everything before it kind of feels like a Game of Thrones episode, Fred. What am I supposed to do with this thing? I'm just saying there's a lot of sacred, sacred violence going on here. I don't know what to do with it. Maybe one of the greatest obstacles for you in understanding Christian faith is that you're not looking at it through the lens of Jesus, which will definitely help you understand that Moses was kind of like the moon shedding light along the path. The prophets were like stars shedding sunlight around the path as Israel is coming to know their God. But Jesus is the Son, S-U-N, who gives us a clear and beautiful picture of who God is. God is like Jesus. So all scripture is read in the light of Jesus Christ. We have to hear the story through the lens of Jesus. But also there's the feeding on Jesus. And I love this at the end of the story. They break bread. Do you see that? They break bread. It's in the breaking of bread that the eyes are opened. It's in the sharing of the meal. Of course, all of this makes us think about Jesus feeding the 5,000. It makes us think about Jesus revolutionizing the Passover meal and saying the Passover you celebrate is actually meant not to end in itself, but to point to me, that I am actually the lamb slain. I am the temple. I am everything it pointed to. I am God's promised presence. 
with you. So in the breaking of bread, as we do each week when we are gathered at the Russian Center, we say that God is present with us in this meal. You know, to hear that story with our bodies again. Unspectacular, right? Do you feel how ordinary this is? But it's in community and coming together and feeding on Jesus where we begin to see Jesus, where God meets us in the story. He meets us at the table. He meets us as we gather together. Someone says right now, we aren't together right now. You know what I say? I say we may be by ourselves, but we are definitely together. We are together. Because our togetherness goes beyond simple physical presence. That's one reason among many that we will gather around the table again on May the 4th. And for every first Monday of each month thereafter on Zoom, I'm calling it Zoom Union. Good? No? I want to end by saying that seeing resurrection right now is hard. I just want to validate that and say it out loud. Debbie Thomas put it this way in one of her many beautifully crafted essays on the lectionary readings where she puts, she says, it always startles me to remember that the Emmaus story is an Easter story. According to Luke's gospel, it happens on Resurrection Sunday. On the very day we pack our churches, flower our crosses, and sing our alleluias, the road to Emmaus stretches out ahead of us, offering defeat, disillusionment, and misrecognition, which is to say sometimes resurrection takes longer than three days. Sometimes new life comes in fits and starts. Sometimes seeing and recognizing the risen Christ is hard. It is hard. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to show up in each other's lives the best we can right now. That's why our pastoral care is ramped up as high as we can. That's why our counseling center is so important. It's why City Hope's heroic work in getting food to our most vulnerable neighbors is so vital. We are almost demanding to see resurrection in the midst of all of this. And you know what? God is showing up in surprising ways. Because as Bruce Coburn put it, sometimes you got to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Maybe that's our pandemic mantra. Kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, today we ask that you would be with us on our own Emmaus Road, that we might have our eyes open to see you. Try as we might to pry them open. We need you to do it. And so grant us faith to believe that precisely when we are, we are at our lowest, when we are walking away from you, when we have made horrible decisions or mistakes, when we have inflicted pain on others or on ourselves, when we have royally screwed it up, or when we are just at the end of our rope, as most of us feel right now, that is when you are ferociously persistently, tenaciously with us to retell the story of your grace, of your mercy, of your life, of your commitment to renew all things. Help us today to believe that, to access that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.